You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the Becca Cook Show. I am Becca Cook, and as you know, on the show, I like to take a look at the lies of the culture and find the biblical truth behind the lies. And today, I want to take a look at a very familiar TV show slash movie called Sex and the City. Now, it's back in the news right now because apparently there's going to be a reboot of the show. And I think the, the new name of the show is, um, and just like that is called and just like that. Cause that was kind of the lead character Carrie's catchphrase and just like that. So today I want to take a look at actually the movie, the first movie, Sex in the City, because I saw it before I became a Christian years ago. I think it came out in 2000. I forget the year, but it was before I, I got saved and I, and I saw the movie and of course I loved it. And the TV series was, I mean, my friends and I were obsessed with it. We watched it religiously every Sunday on HBO. And now apparently HBO is bringing it back. And so I wanted to take a moment to look at what, how that show and especially this movie had an impact on our culture, the, the dramatic impact it had on culture and sex. And, um, I, and you're going to be kind of shocked by some of the dialogue from the movie. So I actually was recently on a plane and I, the Sex and the City movie, the first one was one of the movies that was available to watch on American Airlines. And normally I don't watch those movies, but um, after, you know, reading a book for four hours, you kind of just want to, you know, watch something that's sort of zone, you can zone out on. And I actually wanted to see how I felt about the movie or what, what the lies were from the movie. Now that I'm a Christian, I, I wanted to see what it, what it was saying and what the, the themes were. And I wasn't, I was pretty shocked because of, of some of the dialogue. Uh, that was so anti-family and so anti-marriage. And we're going to get to that later, but it was, it was kind of stunning. So when I was watching this movie on the plane and re-watching it after not seeing it for, I don't know, 12 years, I was really stunned. And I think you're going to be stunned at how aggressively anti-family and anti-marriage this, this movie is. And of course, there's a million movies and a million TV shows now that are the same, but I want to focus specifically on this one today because it is so, uh, it's so acute. Like the, the, the attack is so acute. So obviously the movie was created by Darren Starr and he created TV shows such as Melrose Place and Beverly Hills 90210. And, uh, what else? Oh, Emily in Paris, which is now on, uh, I think on Netflix. And that's another issue we're going to talk about at the end of the show. And 
So I want to look at the dialogue that uh, that really just is shocking. It, it attacks marriage and it attacks a family. And I kind of wrote it out. I typed it out in script form. So I'm going to read you line by line some of the dialogue and we'll, we'll kind of get into what it's saying and what uh, it means. So fade in. Carrie carries this, as you know, Carrie was the star, Sarah Jessica Parker. She was the star of the show and the movies. And she had three girlfriends, her best girlfriends. And obviously the show was all about sex and the city, sex in New York City. And in the TV series, they would just meet, you know, it was all about them kind of meeting up with guys, having sex and kind of discovering who they were through this whole process which is not a great way to do, to discover who you are. Um, so anyway, so Faden, Carrie informs Samantha, her friend Samantha, that she and Big, Big is Carrie's fiance. And Big and Carrie in the, in the movie, Big and Carrie were supposed to get married. They were supposed to have this grand wedding and Big leaves her at the altar. He doesn't show up to the wedding and it's devastating to Carrie. And so they, Carrie is so devastated, but her best girlfriends decide, well, let's go on your honeymoon anyway, just as friends. Let's all go on your honeymoon and take advantage of, you know, the resort that's already been paid for, this Mexican resort, probably like Cabo San Lucas or somewhere. And so Carrie informs Samantha that she and Big have decided to get married after dating for 10 years. When Carrie realizes that Samantha is not happy for her, Samantha responds, you know me, I don't really believe in marriage. So there's, there's attack number one. Later at the rehearsal dinner for the wedding, Big and, Big and Carrie's wedding, Big asks Miranda, Miranda is Carrie's other, one of her other best friends, Big asks Miranda if she's okay after her confrontation outside with her husband Steve over his recent infidelity. So Miranda's husband, Steve, just cheated on her and he shows up at this rehearsal dinner and there's this confrontation between Miranda and Steve. And Big sees, after the confrontation, Big sees Miranda and asks her if she's okay. And Miranda responds, you two are crazy to get married. Marriage ruins everything. Okay, so strike two. Later, the girls decide to go on Carrie's honeymoon, even though Carrie was stood up at the altar by Big. After all, the honeymoon has already been paid for. Why not take advantage of it? So they're at this dinner at this kind of five-star Mexican resort. They're having, you know, Mexican food and the girls get into marital politics and men bashing. Carrie, after everything I know, after 20 years of everything we've learned, Meaning feminist theory, basically. After everything she's learned, uh, after being indoctrinated by feminism and indoctrinated by sexual liberation, which is actually sexual bondage. So Carrie says, after everything I know, after 20 years of everything we've learned, I can't believe I threw it all away for the thrill of putting his name on a honeymoon suite. If I met me now, I wouldn't know me. So again, it's, it's kind of pitting, this is like pitting men and women against each other. It's this kind of feminist idea of, of like 
why would I want a man's name on my honeymoon suite? Like that's disgusting. It's so retrograde. Uh, so, and then Samantha chimes in bemoaning her relationship with her boyfriend, Smith, Samantha, I can't believe my life revolves around a man. On what planet did I allow that to happen? Charlotte. Charlotte's the more kind of traditional and optimistic of the crowd, and she protests Samantha. Charlotte says, but you love him, Samantha. Does that mean saying his name 50 times more a day than I say my own? Does it mean worrying about him and his needs before me and mine? Is it all about the other person? Is that love? Miranda, no, that's marriage. So again, this is this, which I talked about in an earlier episode, this kind of radical individualism. Samantha is shocked that she has to put someone else's needs before her own. And of course, we'll get into the biblical ethic of that, the biblical uh, understanding of, of, of being self-sacrificial in your love for your spouse. Samantha thinks it's bizarre and disgusting that she would put a man's needs before her own. So let's continue. Samantha is upset that her boyfriend bought her a $50,000 ring because she wanted to buy it for herself. Again, this kind of radical individualism. She wanted to buy this, this special ring for herself. She doesn't want some man buying her a ring. Again, this kind of like indoctrination of feminism. And Charlotte, again, the, the, the optimistic romantic one, Charlotte says, he bought you the ring because he knew how much you loved it. Samantha. Yes. But now every time I look down at it, I see him, not me. Again, just. The, the utter kind of selfishness, the self, uh, obsession, the kind of narcissism. She doesn't want to look down at this beautiful ring that he bought her and think of him. So this is, again, it's just, uh, it's just men, ba it's bashing men. It's bashing the idea of uh, marriage. It's bashing, um, the idea of, of a biblical kind of relationship. And so later, Carrie helps Miranda shop for a Halloween costume. So in the movie, it's around Halloween. Miranda, Miranda has a, a young son named Brady and his, his, I think he's like seven years old or something. He's in elementary school, like first grade. And Car they're at a Halloween costume shop. And Carrie says, I can't believe you're even dressing up, Miranda. All the parents in Brady's school dress up. It's fun. Fun thought up by a group of non-working mothers with nothing else to do all day. Wow. When I heard that again, when, I mean, I didn't remember that from the first time I saw the movie. But when I heard that again, I was like, that is so crazy. The, the, the demeaning of stay-at-home moms, which we've talked about before. Fun thought up by a, a group of non-working mothers with nothing else to do all day. Again, this is the denigration of motherhood, the den denigration of the family, the denigration of roles in the family that, that bring flourishing and well-being to a family and to, to society. And so that was kind of a shocking line from Miranda. 
So later on in the movie, Samantha, she prefers an elaborate Valentine's dinner for her boyfriend, Smith. He gets home too late because of work. Smith is an actor and they live in Malibu at this point and he gets home late after working all day as an actor and Samantha is irate. Samantha, I am not the type of woman who sits home all day waiting for a man. Again, just feminism, man bashing uh, at its best. Finally, at the end of the movie, Big and Carrie end up back together. So, of course, there's a happy ending after at the end of this movie. As they cuddle on the floor of the walk-in closet that Big had bought for her in their new penthouse, they wonder what went wrong. So they're, they're, they, they run into each other at this penthouse that they were going to live in after they got married. But because they didn't get married, they, they, the penthouse was for sale. And it was about, it was like the last day that, uh, it was on available for them to go pick up their thing. So they actually kind of accidentally run into each other in this penthouse and they're laying on the floor of this walking, beautiful giant walking closet that big had built for, for Carrie. And they're wondering, you know, what went wrong with with all this? Like, where did we go wrong? Why didn't, you know, we get married? What happened? Why did this turn out so bad? And Carrie says, why did we even decide to get married? Big. I guess we were afraid it would mean something if we didn't. So again, the movie just throws marriage right under the bus and... I think Cicero said, you know, marriage is the foundation of, of all society, which is, is true. Marriage and the family. And this is just, this is kind of standard fare in Hollywood, as you know. Uh, you know, obviously TV shows and movies now are probably way worse, but, but just think about this movie did, I think, $420 million at the box office. Think about all the young women and the young girls who've watched this movie, Christians and non-Christians, and even men, some men, who've watched this movie and how, it, what effect it's had on them. I mean, it's, the, these kinds of things has, have a huge effect on, on people. Story, as I, I've said before in episodes, storytelling is can persuade a person of a completely different worldview. Just this one movie alone had a huge effect. And I even see, again, I see people in my church and other churches, evangelical Christians who have been swept away by this kind of cultural indoctrination of, and that's why there's so much divorce, not only in our culture, there's, you know, uh, almost 50% of marriages end in divorce, but even in the church, there's rampant, divorce is rampant. And why is that? I mean, is it just because that wasn't how it used to be? So obviously the culture is so powerful and has influenced people's minds and, and understanding of reality that that leads to all kinds of destruction and divorce and and breakup of the family which leads to all kinds of problems which we've talked about before and and I you know I don't know if I mentioned this in my book but I don't know if I 
I talk, I've ever talked about this on this show, but, um, this is obviously the antidote to the lies of the culture, the Bible, the word of God. And I remember when I, I was in seminary from 2014 to 2017. And I remember, and, and my commute to seminary was, is about an hour. It's in Los Angeles, but out kind of in a suburb of Los Angeles. And so I remember one day driving to seminary and I, and I just put on audio Bible in my car and I basically listened to the entire New Testament, all the letters of the New Testament. So not the gospels, but just all the letters, all the epistles from, so on the drive there and on the drive back, I basically, I think I got through all of the letters and by the time I was so filled with the word of God, I was, it, it had washed over me so much that during that time, that day, I remember driving back up to LA and I, I was driving up Fairfax Avenue, which is right here. And I just saw, I just looked up and I saw a billboard for, I think it was like some random Melissa McCarthy movie. And it wasn't, it wasn't even just particularly terrible, but I just remember seeing that billboard and being like, ugh, like, well, I don't even want to look at that. I don't even want that pollution in my mind. Like it, I had been so, my mind had been so renewed by the word of God all day that I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with that, that kind of darkness basically. And, um, and, and I, you know, Darren Starr actually knew Darren Starr back in the day in the nineties. And I actually pitched him. I wrote a, I actually loved sex in the city so much that I, I wrote a spec screen, a screenplay, a spec script for the show. But I also wrote a screenplay, uh, and I actually pitched it to Darren Starr years ago. And he ended up not, not buying the pitch. But, uh, but why, why does Darren Starr and, you know, people in Hollywood, again, why do they create content like this? Why would he want to create content? that denigrates the family that bashes marriage why would he do that and and i i was the same way i mean a lot of the spec a lot of the spec screenplays i wrote were were very kind of anti-family i i won't get into all the details of what those scripts were but i was the same way because i was living and i i just thought of uh the this verse in john the gospel of john and it's John chapter three, verse 19. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And that's really the answer. I mean, I was living in the darkness. I was living in sexual sin for many, many years and watching Sex in the City, the TV series and the movies, or at least this first movie, I remember it just, I felt it gives you this kind of feeling of, um, comfort. It gives you a feeling of, of, okay, so my, you know, what I'm doing is not so bad. Like this is what other people are doing and this is good. This is how we kind of 
discover who we are. And, and this is, this is what life is all about is this kind of self discovery and having these relationships and having, you know, these affairs. And, and so that's why I think Darren Starr wants to attack the conventional, the, the traditional family or the traditional marriage. And just because when you're living and Darren Starr is, is gay. So as in, especially if you're a gay man, it's like marriage back, especially back then marriage, traditional marriage was a threat to you. It was a threat to your, almost your identity and your life. And so, so kind of deconstructing marriage, bashing it, bashing men, bashing fa- the family was something that it just, it, it, it's, it's wanting to just be in the dark. So you don't have to, you don't want your evil works to be exposed basically as, as John says in, his, in the gospel. And so I, and you know, I don't know if Darren Starr, it's like, I don't, he, I don't know if he consciously was doing that or subconsciously. I mean, when I was writing screenplays and when I was writing, you know, TV scripts back in the day, it wasn't like I was consciously wanting to attack the family, but I was writing it from my personal worldview. I was writing it from, you know, someone who was a gay man and I wanted, I wanted to, the world to be different and I wanted to have some sort of a, uh, impact on it. And so I get it. I get why Darren Starr ri- writes this kind of content and continues to. He, he, as I mentioned before, he just uh, put out a show called Emily in Paris and, and Emily in Paris, I think it's on Netflix, but it's, it's very similar to Sex in the City. It's kind of the same idea of, it's about a young girl who moves to Paris and from Chicago. And she, she literally discovers who she is by having sex with French men, having all these affairs and through her career. So again, it's just like, that's what the world tells us is like having this career and having these relationships and these sexual encounters is what life is all about. And I used to, that's what I used to believe. My friends and I, as I've said before, I say this in my book, we, we lived for three things. We lived for our careers. We lived for finding true love, finding the one, which is uh, insane. And, and we lived to kind of make a mark on this world and to, uh, to be, to be successful. And so that, that, those were the, that was our raison d'etre. And so that that's what Emily in Paris is all about. It's about this kind of empowered single girl who moves to Paris and she she has all these kind of random one night stands. And that, you know, that is seen as something to be celebrated, seen as something good. And ultimately it's destructive. And I mean it's destructive to the family. It's destructive to society. It's destructive to the person engaged in it. As I've said before, when you are just kind of having 
these affairs, it has, it takes such an emotional toll on you, especially for women. I think it, it's a, it takes a huge emotional toll on you to just have sex, random sex with a stranger or with someone you just barely know. And, um, and we don't talk about that enough in this culture about the, the, the destructive effects of, of sexual liberation, which is actually sexual bondage. So, and, and biblically, we know what marriage is. Marriage is good. God created marriage. He created marriage in, in Genesis. He created marriage between one man and one woman, and it's a covenant for life. And Jesus reiterates this in the Gospels. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul and Ephesians goes a step further and compares it to the marriage between Christ and his bride, the church. We are the bride of Christ, the church, and Christ is the bridegroom. And he calls it a profound mystery. And that's what's so amazing. I mean, it really is profound. Uh, it is a profound mystery. And that's what earthly marriage is kind of really all about. It's a shadow of what's to come. And it all, it's all pointing to Christ and his bride, the church. So I would just stay in the word of God as much as possible because it does. It renews your mind and it keeps you sharp. It keeps you, you know, it keeps you aware of the lies that that are all around you, and it, it, it combats those lies. Um, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. As Paul talks about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, the word of God, the Bible, it's the sword of the spirit. It's like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to believe that lie, like slay the lies. And so I, I just want to urge you, fellow Christians and believers to be watchful when we consume TV or movies and the culture, it has a huge effect on us and we see it all around us and we have to keep combating these lies with the word of God. And so guys, I thank you so much for watching today and I hope this blessed you and I'll see you next time on the Becca Cook Show. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe. And see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. everybody. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast, where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.